One thing that you know about me is that I've always got to change and I'm just going to be me, right? Well, so Kong read the Beatitudes for us. If you looked at your bulletin, that was what was supposed to be read this morning. Because, you know, I hadn't flipped a Sunday morning and a Sunday night sermon in a long time. But tonight is the night in which we needed to do that uh, as I looked at it. Because I want to look at these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And I honestly cannot remember if I have ever preached a sermon from the Beatitudes or not. I'm sure I have. You probably remember. I do not remember. And I couldn't find it. So I have preached a sermon from the Beatitudes. James says yes. That's good. James got a better memory than me. But the reason why I was even thinking about teaching a sermon from the Beatitudes is because, as we've been talking about having unity in the church that belongs to Jesus, Jesus really starts out in His big manifesto about what a Christian is going to be, talking about qualities and characteristics that we all should have, that we should be unified in. And they are very simple. And they are not super complex in any shape, form, or fashion. But yet, they are things that we need to be reminded of from time to time. They are things that we need to focus on from time to time. Because if you're like me, and you're not reading through the Gospel of Matthew all the time, you might forget about these Beatitudes in everyday thinking, in everyday life, of just little things to work on. And it would be like in our regular life, right, whether it's at work, whether it's in our hobbies, where there are things that we do really well, and there are some things that we need to improve on. Sometimes we just need to remind it, maybe there's some things that I can work on here, some different qualities that we and I, myself, should work on. So as a congregant for us there in Matthew chapter 5, those Beatitudes, those blessings, I've always found it interesting that he changes in that very last one in verse 12, Blessed are you when they persecute you. When the ones leading up to that point are, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. I always find it interesting that he turns it there at the end. And I'll make some comments about that at the end. But I just want you to know that we've got a very similar pattern like we've seen in Amos. That patterns help us remember things. And so here we've got our pattern of blessings. Good things will happen. People will be blessed by God. And here's the characteristic. They are poor in spirit. They mourn all those things. And here is the result. Here's the reward of all these different things. The kingdom of heaven being the ultimate of that reward. But I want you to look there at the very first one. Because I think the very first three, the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek, those three in the world are perceived as weak. Remember how we always say people that are meek are weak? What about if you know somebody that's always crying? They get upset over the littlest thing in the world. They're all always upset. They're mourning. We consider that to be pretty weak. You think about somebody who is poor in spirit. You might say, well, what does that mean to be poor in spirit? Well, we understand the concept of having team spirit or self-esteem. It's someone that has little spirit. They are not full of themselves. They are very poor 
of themselves. And we look at somebody like that and we say, maybe you should think better about yourself. You need a little more self-respect. You need a little more self-esteem. How dare you be and defer to somebody else? How dare you not take the credit for something like that? And we perceive these three in particular as just weak. You're not doing anything. I think that's kind of the opposite of what these three things are. When you think about the poor in spirit, someone who is not too full of himself, what you're going to find in that individual is somebody like in Romans, the 12th chapter. I want you to flip there. Michael said a couple weeks ago that people only preach from the first half or the last half of Romans 12. Well, I'm going to preach from both, but not in the same way. <laughs> or verse 3 there. That we are to have self-esteem. We are to have self-worth. We are to have spirit of ourselves. But he says, but by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, etc., etc., I want you to think about that balancing act for a second. How easy is it for us to think well of ourselves, but not too high, not too well? Like, where is that fine line? It would be nice if the Lord said, okay, if you really think you're doing a good job, here's the barometer, here's the measuring point at which you cross the line and you now thought too highly of yourself. I think we all do kind of understand that, right? Where there might be something that I'm doing extremely well, that I say, man, look what I have done. Look at all this good. I implemented this. I implemented that. And this is all by my doing. This is all by mine. And Romans 12 and verse 3 is saying, yeah, you've done a lot, but it was by the measure that was allotted to you. God helped, God gave this to you, whatever the case may be. You don't think of that person necessarily as weak. I'll tell you who you do think of as weak, or you look down on them. Go to the, the bottom of the chapter. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now that is something we can relate to a little more. We would use the phrase... That's below you. Those people are in another stratosphere. They're in another class, and they're below you. Why would you go and associate, again, that term we've been using throughout this quarter, why would you associate with those lowly, dirty people? Well, because you're thinking about them differently than everyone else. Jesus kind of had that same thing talked about him, didn't he? This guy, he eats with the tax collectors and the sinners. That was below the Pharisees. That was below the apostles until Jesus took them in there. You didn't do that. Jesus is saying, I'm not too good for them. They need me. And I think sometimes we look at other people, maybe within within our congregation, Maybe those outside would say, I'm better than them. They don't deserve my time. That's not what Christians do. We associate with people. We get down to wherever people are. 
because we're not too good for that. I've seen that in example all weekend long where all of these managers from the company, they're all helping tear down this tent and build up this tent, and they're all sweating just like everybody else, not standing off the side and just barking orders, but getting in there and getting their hands dirty, we would say. If we're going to be a part of the body of Christ, we can't have our noses in the air and say, that's below me. It's all, whatever you need me to do, that is what I'm going to do. Because that is what our Master did. He humbled Himself to the lowest point. You think about that second one back there in Matthew chapter 5. Those who mourn the weakness that goes along with that. You know, real men don't cry, right? No. But for some reason that came along somewhere throughout time, and I don't know if that started back with Adam. I don't know when that, when that started. But for whatever reason, real men don't cry. And of course, everyone knows that's not true. But yet there is still that macho, I'm strong, I'm good. No matter how bad things are, no matter how really tore up I am inside, I cannot show that one bit. And Jesus is saying, man, for those that are mourning, they're going to be comforted. When you are really sad about something, you can try to fight back the tears as long as you want, right? But they're coming. There is going to be nothing that I can do to keep me when I am actually sorrowful about something. They're going to come. And you know what? You want to happen after all of that sorrow has been released? After all of that sorrow, I'm going to even use the term overwhelmed me? We use that, don't we? It was overwhelming. I did this great sin, or I hurt someone so bad, it was just overwhelming. And maybe you're sitting there and you're hearing it from a sermon, or maybe you're singing a song, or maybe it's in a prayer, and it just gets the best of you. And you feel terrible that you did that. Not that you got caught. You feel terrible for what you did to someone else. All we want is that to be made better. Right? We're, we're not asking for everything to be roses. We're not asking for... Just, can we deal with this? Can we fix this right now? And so you see somebody crying. You say... Come on, man, get it together. Can't you, be, can't you be strong about that? And the Lord is saying, I need you to be a little more sorry. Because far too often, we're not sorry enough for our sin. We don't have that, as 2 Corinthians 7 would talk about, that godly sorrow that produces repentance. We have that regret that, man, I really wish I hadn't done that. But I don't really feel that terrible about it. Like, I'm human. I sin. That's just what we do. I shouldn't have done it. But I kind of feel bad about it. God's saying, man, my people, they are sorrowful when they sin. And guess what God is going to do? He's going to comfort them. He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of them. Because our Father knows that we need that. 
I think about it from this side. One last thing I want to say about this one. We shouldn't always be in tears. I'm not saying that in any shape, form, or fashion. But I think he's getting to the seriousness of what our sin does. We know that the wages of sin is death. But I don't think about that when I tell them a little white lie. I don't think about that when I do whatever it is I do unless it's super, super big. And what he's saying is, my people, they really are sorry when they do wrong. And they just want it to be better. And God will give them comfort knowing that he has removed that from them. And this third one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, meek is not weak. Meek is actually your strength under your control. Self-control, power, right? We normally think if you want something, you go get it. You want a job, you go get it. You want a girl, you go get her. And he's saying, hold on now. Actually, if you want all of this, you want to inherit the land, the land of Canaan back in Psalm 35. If you want that, if you want heaven, you can't just go and take it by force, as the Pharisees tried to do with time. No. You can't take the kingdom by force. You can't go in and steal it. You can't force your way into heaven. Because it's easier for the eye, camel to get through the eye of a needle, right? And for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't buy it. You can't get in there on your own. But yet, you will if you get all of your strengths, all your powers under control. Such as... Maybe one of my powers is I'm actually very smart. There are many of you out there that are actually very smart, very wise and knowledgeable in the Scriptures, right? Remember what James says about that in James chapter 4? Is anyone wise among you? Uh, I imagine there are some people in the audience thinking, I am, I am James. I'm wise. I know I'm wise. I know I'm wiser than brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. I got this. I'm wise. And they might actually be wise. Remember what he says? Let him by his good works or by his conduct show his wisdom. You really want to prove that you are so smart and so good? Live the way you ought to. You just prove it. You just do it. You are someone who is very good at Helping other people. And we'll get to that one in a second. Just do it. Let it speak for itself. Don't have to sound the trumpet. Don't have to do all of those things. Don't have to say, look how good I am at such. Just do that thing. And someone will say to you, well, why didn't you tell anybody you did? Because I was just doing it to do it. I wanted to help. And it works on the flip side too, doesn't it? When you have a right to do something. It is something that is within your power. Maybe it is food to eat. Maybe it is drink to drink. Maybe it is clothes to wear. Maybe whatever it is that you have a right to do. 1 Corinthians 10 would say, do all to the glory of God. If it is going to cause my brother to stumble, I will not do it. 1 Corinthians 6, as we referenced this morning, when brother is taking brother to court, 
He says, should you not rather be defrauded? You have a right, you have the power to take your brother to court. Shouldn't you just cut your loss here? Wouldn't you rather be cheated? And only a meek person is going to do that. Only a person that understands what is going on, that has their emotions, their strengths, their powers all under control, is going to say, you know what? I'm going to let that go. And we're looking at them like, you're crazy. Take them to court. Get your money. It is yours. Do what you want. It is your right. Jesus is saying, you know, sometimes we, we give up our rights. We give up our powers for other people. Again, when you think about that, what kind of a place would this local church be if that was us? be pretty good, right? Now go to this next group, the next four that are there. They're not exactly in this way, but I've kind of seen them as this. So that first three as things that are perceived as weak and weaknesses. These next four have more to do with someone's desires, what they really want to do. Like, I don't want to not exercise my right. But when the moment comes up, I'm going to not exercise my right. I don't want to mourn, but when I have to mourn, I'm going to mourn, right? All all that kind of thing. I want you to think about it from the reverse here. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It's easy to see the desire there in the first one of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I hunger and thirst for, currently right now, anything that has gluten in it. But I can't have it. I'm not going to be satisfied in that. Thankfully, there are alternatives out there. But that's what I want. He's saying the person that wants and they crave knowing what is right to do. And that's what he means by righteousness here. That person, that's what they want to eat. That's what they want to be fed is what is right. That's exactly what they're going to get. They're not going to get the fluff. They're not going to get the dessert. They're going to get the things that they need to be satisfied, to be filled. Because I'm sure we've all had too much candy before dinner, right? I'm assuming everyone is like myself on that. I'm projecting me to you. But that's not good. And we realize, man, I really need protein, not the carbohydrates and the sugar. But I was craving the other. He's saying we've got it flipped around. The Christian craves to know what is right. The Christian always is wanting more. Because we always want more food, don't we? When we wake up the next day. So there are things that I know that are right today. I would like to know what to do tomorrow. And then the following day. And I would like to make sure that what I did today was in fact right. And the only way that I'm going to do that is if I want to do that. Because I can go times and periods without being interested in that type of thing. 
And what Jesus is saying is, my people, they want to know what is right. They will seek it out. They will find it. And they will get it. They will be satisfied with that. When you think about people that are merciful, they shall receive mercy. There's a lot of different ways that you can take and you can receive mercy. Maybe right off the bat is someone who is merciful to someone who is wrong to them. Where someone, they defrauded you and you showed them mercy. Or someone sinned against you, maybe they lied about you. Maybe they did something horrific, like take your sleep with your spouse. And they come to you and they say, Wes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Most individuals in the world are going to say, well, you did too bad. Christ people, they want to show mercy to the other individual. They want the person that did this egregious wrong to them to be made right. Because they themselves want mercy. They themselves are able, for whatever reason, to put themselves in that individual's shoes, maybe not ever see themselves committing such an egregious crime and such an egregious sin, but someone that can see themselves understanding my sin was, quote, just as bad. Because my sin would have the exact same consequence, eternally speaking. Yeah, there are sins on this earth that have more physical lasting consequences. But the person that wants to show mercy, they're almost looking for a reason to be generous to somebody. And Jesus tells us, and I believe it's in Matthew 18, that, remember that story, that, that parable of there was a man that owed the king the great debt, right? A debt he could never repay. And he went to him and he said, show me or give me uh, mercy, right? Well, it didn't work out that way. He got it. And it specifically said that he had pity on him. That is our word, mercy. And the one that had mercy shown to him, the one that had pity shown to him, remember he went out and he himself had a servant who owed him just a little bit of money. And he went out and he found that servant. And he said to that servant, you pay me what you owe me. And that servant did the exact same thing that he did as the other man did. He fell down at his feet. He said, please give me time. I will pay it. I will pay it. And that one actually could have paid it. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to throw you in prison until you pay every last penny. And the servants went titled on him. We'd say, how dare they go and tell that king? They they understood. This was terrible. That this guy asked for pity and you didn't give it after you had just got it. And what the Lord is teaching us in that parable, as we know, he drags the guy that he forgave and he puts him right back in and he never gets out. That when somebody asks us for mercy, Christ people, they give the mercy because they want to. 
You think about it from the other side. You're just generous to people. A guy yesterday in Starbucks, he asked me for a coffee, and I was not merciful. Like, I, I was actually the opposite of merciful, and I felt bad about that. I didn't cry over that. I didn't mourn over that, but I felt terrible about it. The next person that walked right behind me said, sure, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And I thought, man, how terrible am I? This guy did exactly what I should have done. Because he's merciful. Clearly the guy was homeless. And there were like ten homeless people in that Starbucks. It was, uh, it was bad. And there was just kind of this feeling of, come on. But not to that other guy. That other guy said, I'm going to show him mercy. And I thought about that a lot over the last 24 hours. Man, I should have been more merciful yesterday. Because if I had been that guy wanting a cup of coffee, I sure would have been thankful for the person to give that to me. When we're merciful to people, God says, we'll receive that mercy. Why don't you go to the next thing that we crave to do, we desire to do. Verse 8 there, we desire to have a pure heart. We want to do the right things. We're searching for the right things. And we want to make sure we're doing them for the right reasons. That our heart is clean. We aren't doing it to get a spouse off our back or a potential spouse off our back. We aren't doing it to get a family member off our back. We aren't doing it to get some kind of advantage in life, some kind of advantage in the church. We're doing it because our heart is pure. It's not contaminated with all these other things. And so you have people like Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, right? Where he's had a lot of power for quite some time. And then real power comes into town with Philip performing the miracles. And then real power comes into town when the apostles lay hands on the people and they're then able to perform miracles. And Simon says, Man, well, give me, how much is it going to cost me to get that ability? And Peter says, Man, you're mistaken, right? He says, man, you were caught in the bond of iniquity. Your heart is not right. Like, would it be a good thing to be able to pass on the ability to perform miracles? Like, that would be awesome. But why did he want it? Man, look what I can do. I can make, I can hand up and put my hands on, I'm looking at the coal right here, and put my hands on the coal and the coal's going to perform a miracle. That would make you feel awesome, I would think. It would make me feel awesome. But he would go on to explain in chapter 6 here, there will be people who give their alms to be seen of men. It's not pure in heart. There will be people who will pray to be seen of men. It is not pure in heart. There will be people who will uh, fast to be seen of men. But it's not from the pure in heart. Christ people, they do right things. They want to be seen by God. And they want to make sure that they're doing it right. And you think about David creating me a clean heart. He had sinned. 
Psalm 51. It was egregious to him. He was mourning over that. He wanted to be made well, but he wanted that clean heart. You have other Psalms where you would say, forgive him of the things that he doesn't even know. If there is any sin in me, let me know that kind of thing. Because we always want to make sure that what we're doing is right and that we're doing it for the right reasons. Because have you ever found yourself in this situation where you're actually doing the right thing and you begin to wonder if you're doing it for the right reasons anymore? Is this just routine? Is this just because of the accolades? Why do I do this anymore? And you have to sit back and ask yourself the question, my heart's still pure. I think that's a legitimate and a fair question to ask ourselves when we get in those ruts. Christ says we want our hearts pure. And finally, blessed are those peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. God sent His Son to make peace, right? That passage that we read there in Romans 12, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably, with all men. Some people walk around and they want to stir up a fight. Some people walk into a church and they're ready to go ahead and start some trouble. Because if there isn't strife, if there's not division, if there's not some trouble, like, I don't know what's up at church. We know people like that. We call them drama queens. Always got to start stuff. Christ people aren't that way. Christ people always want everything to be calm, everything to be at peace. When there is a division, when there is a disturbance, they want it to be better. And they will go out of their way to make it better. So now when we go in between people that are in in war and fighting, right? So brother so-and-so is saying so-and-so about brother so-and-so. And And I'm now going to get in the middle between the two brother so-and-sos. What oftentimes happens when I get in between the two brothers so-and-sos? They unite in the front, and they now shooting at me. And I was just trying to help. Sometimes, right? Other times I get in the middle of brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so because I want to meddle in somebody's business. There's a difference there, isn't there? Of men, these brothers and these sisters are really at war with one another. They're really at odds. Euodia, Sinti, Clement, encourage these women that they agree in the Lord. I bet Clement was kind of like Jonah, like, why couldn't you get somebody else to do that one? But you're willing to get in there and risk whatever they're going to think about you and risk that because you want peace to be had between brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you live that kind of life where you're causing peace and you are doing things that are right and you're doing things that have right motives and you are showing merciful mercy to people and you are always wanting to know right and you can't get enough of it and people are like, well, you just calm down a little bit. Because you're so zealous for those things. The result of that is verse 11. 
The blessed are you when others revile you, and they persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That's just what's going to happen. We can rest assured of that. Is that if we are going to live and be united in these characteristics, the result is going to be persecution in some way, shape, form, or fashion. They will either say something, or they will do something. And they will have to make it up. That's what they had to do with Daniel, right? And it doesn't even seem that Daniel, Daniel was in good with some really important people. But there were other important people that didn't want him at all. They wanted him dead. He says, don't you worry about that, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. When we think back at the prophets, we normally think of them as people with really difficult jobs. I want you to think about it for two seconds here, about how the prophets had to be poor in spirit. Man, if they are proclaiming a message that is for hundreds of years later, and they were the only one that got that message, wouldn't you think, man, how special am I? Man, I'm the one that got to find out about the Christ. I'm the one that was able to say the Christ is going to be born in Bethlehem. No other prophet can do that. That's not who it was. That's not the kind of people they chose. Blessed are those who mourn. We don't see this so much with Isaiah, but we do, right? He's shown the Lord. He sees the Lord. And he says... I am a man of unclean lips. I am of a people of unclean lips. I do not deserve to be here. And the Lord threw the seraphim, put the coal of fire. When he did wrong, boy, he felt bad. There was some sorrow in that. And how can I not go and tell these people? Or these meek prophets. It was said of Moses that he was the meekest man on the earth. As he's leading the people out, he's got all the power. He's just brought down all of these plagues on this great nation. He has just parted the Red Sea. All of these things are coming through him. And the Bible would say those powers, those strengths did not get to his head. In fact, he had those things under such control that he was the person that had that. He was the meekest on the earth. You think about those that hungered and thirst for righteousness. I think about David. How many times did he say, man, your law is like honey to my mouth, right? As sweet as the honeycomb. All of those things. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. They're just full of that hunger and searching. And of those that are merciful. I think about Jeremiah. That Jeremiah was thrown into a pit. He was spoken to terribly. But yet, when it all came down to it, he was a very generous and merciful person. The pure in heart. Not Jonas. But the others that they wanted to do right. The peacemakers. Etc. You can go down the list. I'm sure we could find a prophet for all of these things if not all of them having that. Because when we are godly people, 
The world doesn't like them. But yet we can stand together and we can be united knowing that we're being who we're supposed to be in Christ. And we can rejoice and we can be glad for great is our reward in heaven. I'm going to work on being more merciful this week. Maybe there is one of these that you can work on being better at as well. If you need the prayers in any way this evening, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing. Amen.